A bit lit, celebrating research and creativity of all kinds. Perry, hi, how are you? Oh, I'm very well, Andy. It's lovely to speak to you again. How are you? Yeah, um, I'm good too, and it's lovely to speak to you. Um, so we're making this film, celebrating Edward's boys, uh, looking very, you know, very generously you're sharing uh, the rehearsal process as you work on John Marston's The Fawn. We've got to talk to some of the boys from the cast as well. And today, excitingly, we get to talk to Edward's boys, uh, director, um, artistic uh, director and leader. So hello, uh, we're pleased about that. Um, I guess the, the first obvious question is what it's been like to work um, under lockdown. I think lockdown's made many of us feel very differently about what, what we do. Um, how has it been? How have you felt about it? Uh, it's been uh, it's been extremely interesting for me personally because I've learned something new. I've learned something uh, about myself. Um, if we get to talk about the fawn, Marston's the fawn later, self-knowledge is is i think central to the play so uh we were uh, when first lockdown occurred as some people will know we were a week away from opening a, sh a show ben johnson's the silent woman which of course we had to cancel and at that point it was we had to cancel it because some of the students were coming to the end of their school careers and they've now gone on to university we we weren't able to postpone it um and at that point, it was so painful for those of us involved. There was a sort of tacit understanding, and in, indeed I made it explicit at one point, that we're never going to suffer this again. <laughs> we're never going to start a show unless we know there's a good chance of being able to put it on, because it was painful. And actually thereafter, that was the, uh, the march. Thereafter, there were several um, things we had in our calendar that had to be cancelled. Really quite nice, exciting uh, performances and events that we were going to do. Uh, ho hopefully we can dig them up again at some point, but, you know, they had to be cancelled as well. One of the things we were going to do was to perform uh, for the Museum of St John, St John's Ambulance down in Clerkenwell. Uh, and we've we've got a bit of a relationship with the people there. And the, the, in the museum, they actually have the hall that the Master of the Revels used to sit in. And that's the hall where, um, I don't know if you've, if you've ever heard of John Lilly, but where some of John Lilly's plays were given sort of uh, what we might call dress rehearsals in front of the Master of the Revels and, and other plays, of course. Um, so we were going to perform last September, in their hall as part of a fundraiser for St. John Ambulance. And it was a win-win. That had to be canceled, of course. And then St. John got in touch and said, we're going to do an online fundraising event. Would Edward's boys agree to make a, a contribution in some way? Could, could you record something and film it and send it along? So the short answer was, yes, of course we will. And I went back to a play that we'd done before, uh, Wit and Science, and I chose a 10-minute section, uh, which I thought might be funny and entertaining, and re-rehearsed it with the same actors. And this was when schools were open again in the late September, early October last year. And um, it had to be socially distanced, and it was it was all under all sorts of rather difficult circumstances but you know rehearsing for two weeks and making a little film I'd never been a film director before making a little film was just great 
and and the two lads loved it and i found i loved it and we suddenly thought you know because what's happened in in schools anyway when they're open is that uh there's no point in having long lunch times or long breaks because people are just standing around with nothing to do so we've our breaks are shortened our lunch times are shortened people leave earlier basically you come in and either as a teacher or a student you do lesson after lesson after lesson after lesson and then you go and there's no real extracurricular you can't do physical sport and running around you can't you know so you can't sing you can't have the choir so it was work 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 go home and just for those two or three weeks with you know four four or five rehearsals we found that we were looking forward to the end of the day to do an hour an hour and a half it i know it sounds really sentimental but having done that the kind of the real value of that sort of creative endeavor and if people go to the edwards boys website you you can actually see that little 10 minute film it, it's it's fine it's great it's fun but it, what it did was give us the confidence so i got the company together the, those boys who are still in the school and said okay this was october time shall we risk it shall we and they all said, yeah, <laughs> yeah, let's let's give it a go. So uh, I had been uh, approached by uh, two people you know very well, Claire McManus, uh, Roehampton and Lucy Monroe at Kings, who've got this Engendering the Stage project. Uh, they'd approached me some time ago with a, a wish list saying, any chance you might do one of these plays? And um, one of those plays was Marston's The Form. Um, and Although I knew the play, I didn't know it particularly well, and I reread it and thought, this play is just so good. Why don't people do this play? Which occasionally happens with us. I think this is a masterpiece. So decided we, we've got to have a go. So we started rehearsal in late November, and we were socially distanced, which isn't a problem for us, because as you know very well, Andy, we begin with all this table work. So it's just like being in a big classroom, and I've usually got two or three other students with me and, and they're sitting distanced. We couldn't really mix up year groups, but that was okay when you, you've got them that far apart reading round. So that went pretty well until of course, January, when we went into the second lockdown and they were sent away. And then it started, I, I had to get used to Zoom rehearsals. And actually for those bits of table work, it wasn't too bad. Um, of course, one of the things is the slight delay. Um, I, I notice you're not saying very much, and I'm sure you would love to, but I keep talking. But the, that slight delay, and when you're trying to get cues and trying to get pace and rhythm and, and so on, but it didn't matter so much at that stage when we were just sort of under unpicking the text and, and uh, seeing what we could find. So we got to that stage. We were hoping to present the play in March, but once we'd gone into the second lockdown, it was quite clear. But everybody felt that this time we had a chance to think it through so we could postpone. So we're going to do the show in late September and early October. We know we can't tour this time. Uh, whatever the restrictions are, touring at that stage, I think, is, is just going to be uh, a step too far. So we'll just perform in Stratford-on-Avon in school. 
and do four shows and hopefully we can get some sort of live audience because the play really needs all plays do but this one demands a live audience so i'm sorry rather long answer but but that's what we've been doing and i've learned that i won't say i i need to rehearse i, I think that's a bit too much but rehearsing has really given me a a, a great di diversion uh, a great sense of creativity um, and for the kids and there was a lovely lovely moment back in December when we actually went into our big hall and we we laid out the set on the floor but twice as big as it will be so that everyone could be socially distanced to try a bit of blocking and I heard one of the more experienced lads uh, Jamie say to Johan another experienced lad as they were putting out chairs and things it's good to be back. <laughs> and there was that, that sense of, yeah, we're back. We're doing what we do. So, yeah, that's what we've been doing. Fantastic. Thank you. That's really, really fascinating. Um, thinking back to The Silent Woman, you mentioned that I'm being silent because of Zoom. Um, but thinking back to The Silent Woman, for anyone interested in um, more content from that particular production, we were really lucky on A Bit Lit that you generously offered to talk about that production. There's a film with you. Um, soon after that production had to be put to bed, but there's also a documentary, uh, an audio documentary of the production uh, posted by Harry McCarthy talking to um, members of Edwards Boys. Um, and we also were lucky to get a former Edwards boy, an Edwards man, I don't know how you would put it, uh, George Ellingham, who spoke to Oh, us. not George, no, no, no. <laughs> George Ellingham's uh, speaking to us, um, not just about working in Edwards Boys, but how he then took that forward into um, staging plays uh, as a university student. So there's quite a lot already on a bit lit of Edward's Boys content, which is glorious. And I, I wonder if we might invite you back as well in the future. You talked about the fawn not touring, but if it ever wants to tour to a bit lit, we'd be absolutely delighted to host um, parts of the production further down the line, as well as the rehearsals we're sharing in this film. You're very generous. And if we're not outstaying our welcome, we'll always like to do stuff for you. Thanks. Fantastic, thank you. Perry, it feels like, and do correct me if I'm wrong about this, uh, but it feels like there's been a shift in recent years for Edwards Boys, um, speaking much more directly to individual research projects, um, and particularly to research projects which are built around particular writers. So you mentioned Engendering the Stage, um, and you and I have also collaborated um, with the research project before Shakespeare, and both of, those, both of those two projects are not about individual authors. Um, but you've also been working with the, with the Thomas Nash project and with the John Marston project. I wonder, firstly, if you tell us a bit about what it's like just to work with, for whatever the right word is, um, research projects. Um, and also if there is a difference uh, working with a project which is thinking about a particular writer and a project which is coming at the period in terms of, well, in before Shakespeare's case, in terms of kind of time period and in terms of engendering the stage, something to do with, with gender in performance. Um, yeah, so the first question is what it's like to work with with research, uh, a research project. Yeah, right. Thank you, Andy. That's two really interesting questions. And the, the, the first one, it, it's um, it, it's a great privilege to to work with, um, you know, experts on on these texts because um, we, we are patently not. You know, I'm not an academic um, and, and the, the, the lads are, are not proper actors so you know we're finding our way and to have some prompt and guidance and sounding board and so on 
from uh, the academic world is terrific. I mean, in a sense, as, as you're aware, I know, right from the beginning, there was a, an academic focus to the project. Um, so doing stuff with Warwick University in Kawarata and, and so on. But then there, there are several times um, people like Leah Scragg with, with Lily uh, have, have, have come along and, and made suggestions and, and said, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of doing this. I suppose one of the reasons is, of course, that we're the only company like this, the, the, the only old boy company, the only old boy company with some sort of heritage or history or continuous kind of thing going on. Um, and so we, we come to mind. Um, but it, it's great and stimulating and exciting to uh, work alongside experts or for them, if, if we want to put it like that. I've never felt hampered in any way by any of these these people including of course yourself they've never said look we want you to do this particular play and we want you to do it in this way because we want to discover this or whatever that's never happened and you know i, I wouldn't want to work under those those conditions um it's always a discovery let's see what you know what this play hasn't been done for hundreds of years or, or um uh, this, this author is completely misrepresented according to let's try and put it on its feet and see what happens so that's been great i suppose to be hard nodes for a minute i mean we are a state school and in terms of funding the shows it's uh, bums on seats it's ticket sales always uh, and uh, i get a little bit of support from um uh, the uh, parents association to do with the arts if I ask for it and for touring and so on but fundamentally it's telling selling tickets now if uh, a project like the Marston or Nash project come to to us then generally they'll they'll have a little a small sum but a little sum of money and say look we can help uh, hiring out this particular space so with the thomas nash project they had already sorted out the uh, the school down in croydon archbishop whitgift's palace so you know that wasn't down to us to pay for uh, or uh, the project might say look we can provide um, some financial support with the coach travel uh, and you know those those very uh, basic but really important things, um, because we don't have a, a bottomless pot to dip into. So I, I, that's been very useful. But I, I would say, um, unlike most of the theatrical profession, we're not we're not prostitutes. We don't trust uh, chase the money. We. Um, you know, it's really helpful if there's there, but also sometimes it, I, I just do a play because I want to do a play. And then, you know, I want to do that particular play and, and, and so on. Um, but it never really ends there because if, if you want to do a, a play that hasn't been done for a long time, like, uh, I don't know, I, I did a trick to catch the old one a few years ago, Middleton play. I'm very fond of Middleton. Uh, and there was there was no reason apart from wanting to do it. But then the person who'd edited it for the Revels edition, uh, Paul Mark Holland, uh, got in touch from the States and, and uh, said, well, you know, I'm really interested. I'd love to come. I can't come. But if you'd want to ask any questions and um, Paul sent across his digital text. So that was really helpful. A nice, modern, fresh text. Um, Richard Dutton. Uh, eminent scholar Richard has been so so helpful I met him through the Marston project but um, one of the things he, he always says is you know I'll always help because it's it's such fun 
Uh, and th this is this is great for, for us. So that I suppose there's always, but you're quite right. There, there is a uh, there is there has been this this thing tendency in recent years, probably since the Nash, and and then you, and then the Marston project, and it, it looks like we're going to work on another famous writer from the period uh, in the near future. I think I think that's that's right. What, remind me of your second question, Andy. Sorry. Um, really, whether there's a difference working with projects which are thinking about a particular writer. Uh, and therefore might be using your productions to think about that writer, as opposed to engendering the stage or before Shakespeare, which are thinking about a kind of thematic issue. Uh, I mean, you've already, in a way, you've answered the question because you've said that the research projects don't tend to lead the kinds of things that you might do. And I was just interested. I mean, in a way, part of my question is about whether there's ever pressure to love the play and the playwright. And in some ways, I'm aware that, you know, you talked a minute ago about um, experts, but actually I think your company reveals the limits of that expertise, because I remember when you did Thomas Nash's Summer's Last Will and Testament, some of the experts on that project uh, were kind of warning you, this is not a very good play, it's not very stage worthy. And your expertise and the expertise of your boys showed that that, that was wrong, right? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Maybe I've been lucky or maybe I've got very sensitive antennae and managed to keep away from those who, who, who want to take it over you know but uh, it's it would be for perverse wouldn't it, it, it to, to speak about it in sort of um uh innocent terms wouldn't it be perverse i want to find out about more about how the, this play works so let me tell the theater company how to do it <laughs> you know um but all the time my experience have, has been that the scholars have been so immensely generous as i say very occasionally with with some money and that's great but much more with their, their time and, and their enthusiasm and support. You know, it's, it's not uncommon for them to um, uh, agree to have phone call after phone call from me after rehearsals where I'm asking questions about sort of textual problems or what we might do. And as I say, sounding board, bouncing ideas off. So <clears throat> I found it really stimulating. And that, that's the other thing, you know, the, the the kids love it. They love it when they're performing in front of, you know, the world living experts on Nash or whatever it is. Um, and then they're asked questions that that's great. But they, they also really enjoy meeting these people uh, in the course of rehearsals and after performances and, and chatting it through. I mean, you're one of those people, you know, uh, it, it's 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 really um, stimulating and inspiring for, for those students, many of whom, in fact, I would say probably all of whom will want to go on to university, you know, so that's that's another great thing. They can see what the world of university is like. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's really great. And you talked about, you know, you very modestly said maybe you get pulled into these projects because you're the only kids on the block, as it were, the only boys on the block. But actually, I think, I mean, firstly, I want to underline the sheer quality of the work that all of you do um, as being very important to um, the reason you get asked to do this sort of thing. But also the ethos and the attitude of the, of the company. It's so easy, and we see it from other theatre companies, it's so easy to get hyper reverential about text and about history and often to return to fairly boring, unhelpful and indeed inaccurate 19th century ideas of how Shakespeare <laughs> and his contemporaries worked. Um, and, you know, Edward's boys don't do any of those things. They are, they're interested um, in how the text might work now um, and, are, and are interested in these texts as, as theatrical prompts. Um, and I think that's another reason why scholars find this so exciting is that this is not 
an, an historical inquiry. It's a live contemporary inquiry. Oh, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. And, and you know, um, I, I think that, that that's probably how it was. I'm no expert and I don't care, but, you know, um, trying to put on a good show, which is what I always say. And, and then uh, you've said to me in the past, well, isn't that, isn't that what would have happened back in the day? And of course it is. But also this reverential, you see, I, I am a textual dinosaur. You know, I know I am. And the kids will tell you it's going over and over and playing around with the words. And you've got to say the right words in the right order. And yes, but that's a question mark or a punctuation mark or whatever it is. I do, I do all of that, but I do it so that then they know and can command it and then can be free. And, you know, I, I have a, a, a stupid little thing that I say to them, you know, do what I say, do what you want. <laughs> do what I say. So this is how it is. This, this is what the, you know, right now you got hold of that, do something with it. <laughs> now go where you want. And I, I very much feel that with, with these plays that, that, that you've got to get the text under your fingernails but then you've got to think, how can I make this live? How can I make it zing? And, and that might mean that you do some cutting or you change some things or you do some things in some surprising ways. But I would say there's some sort of textual justification for that because of what we think the core of the play is, is doing. I know that sounds rather pompous and, and um, who am I to, to say how there's but then again i'd say who is anybody these texts are available for performance and if we don't do a very good production of x doesn't matter nobody's done it for 400 years and they might not do it again you know so i think it's it's that creative bouncing off the the text that is so exciting and and let's be frank you know the, the kids are really good at doing that they, they want to be a bit irreverent as as well in a way that whisper it but you sometimes can't be with Shakespeare yes yeah absolutely um Perry looking at the time we should move ahead to thinking about the fawn itself I think um yeah. and in particular what it's been like to turn to to this play I mean I'm presuming every new play you do feels like a, an entirely new kind of snapshot of both early modern theatre and also how Edward's boys might work in the in the theatre now um how is it how has it been working with John Marston's the fawn it's been it's been really interesting because the last major production we did was 2019 and it was John Marston's The Malcontent. Huh. Now, I would say this is a I would say it's a coincidence, you know, because we should have done Johnson's Silent Woman and we have done Radford's um, uh, Wit and Silent, you know, there are all sorts of other things. But now these two plays uh, were written consecutively. So. Malcontent came first, Form was the next one. They're both disguised Duke plays. So like Measure for Measure, the Duke goes into disguise in order to explore either his or somebody else's court. And in this play, it's somebody else's court. So that's been interesting because it's like, well, you're just doing the same play, aren't you? Oh, no. <laughs> oh no this is this is such a fascinating play i really hope that we perform it in front of an audience for so many reasons but one of those is i'd love to know what the audience response is because 
we kind of feel that what we've read about it, and there was one production back in 1982, National Theatre, uh, which was highly successful. And I've spoken to a number of academics who are now extremely eminent academics who saw it back in the 80s, who tell me how really funny it was. And, and I think it is a really funny play. But there are some weird things about it. And the way we work is always asking a simple question, which is why, you know, why is that character saying or doing that at that point? Why? Why? No, not making assumptions, but why? And there's some very strange things that happen in this play. And um, I, I'm, I'm fascinated to see. I think it's extremely funny. As I say, I, I do think it's funny, but I think it's uh, a very cruel play. Now, this is something that must, uh, I've got to be very careful here because my responsibility within school is pastoral care. And, um, you know, I'd like to think that, that we don't have a lot of bullying in King Edward VI school. And when we find bullying, as there is in any institution, we attempt to deal with it. You see, I think Marston really got boys because that's why he did this play with a group of boys, because it's about bullying. And it's a particular form of, of male bullying. And there's so many examples of it going on. And I don't know, bullying isn't very funny. <laughs> bullying is really rather cruel. And it's it's been very interesting in rehearsal. We don't sit around endlessly sort of having therapy and talking about our own worst experiences and, and so on. But it is something that the kids understand, the, the group against the individual and the, the power of humiliation and the, the effect of trying to make somebody feel that you're their best friend when in fact you're laughing behind their back. And the, there's, there's so much that's going on in this play that, that the boys can tap into and then show us how it's done. So it's it's been fascinating, um, and uh, uh, we, we're putting a lot of music into this. Uh, I will say that this is the closest I think I'll ever get to directing a musical. Uh, so that, that may or may not attract people. <laughs> um, it's uh, it's a it's a fascinating play, um, and whilst it would seem to be very similar to the malcontent, our experience, and many of the boys were involved in the malcontent. Our experience is that it's it's a markedly different kind of play. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, and I guess it's a, it's a play, as you say, about bullying, but is it also a play about um, the exposure of bullying? And you talked also about it being a play about self-knowledge, but it's also sort of a play about, about surveillance, isn't it? And it's, you know, it's knowledge through surveying other people. And so there's that sense of the act of bullying being exposed to the audience. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like we, we have this, this main character, Hercules, who is the fawn, who spends most of the play in disguise. He has a huge number of soliloquies. <clears throat> so he's in that position where he's complicit with the audience. He's sort of halfway between the audience and the action in many ways. He's sharing his thoughts, but he's not a trustworthy narrator. He he really isn't. And when we're talking about self-knowledge, you know, he's exposing people's lack of self-knowledge. He's exposing their hypocrisy and their greed and their, their sexual licentiousness and, and on and on and on. But he, he very rarely stops to question his own. In fact, I would say he doesn't. 
So I think that that's a remarkably interesting thing. And, and you know, let, let's be frank, most people in terms of disguised duke plays, most people will know measure for measure. And I'm thinking the, 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 the role that's played by the duke in that play is, has always been for me highly questionable the way he manipulates characters. So the, the, that's why I said earlier on, I really hope we get to perform this, this play needs an audience because the, the audience are dragged in or should be dragged into this world. And then what, how do they feel about this? And they're being made to laugh at these things. And, well, hold on, and this person who's supposed to be their friend is, is, is really not being very pleasant. There's an awful lot about the, the way in which the fawn stands and watches the action with the audience behind him. And he's saying, yeah, it's like this, isn't it? It's like this, isn't it? Don't you think? Don't you think? I think it, it places the audience in a really awkward position. I'm probably not selling it very well, but I think it's terribly exciting. And in terms, you know, Marston was a great theatre man and absolutely understood the, 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 the power of those awkward moments when you're in the theatre thinking, hold on, I don't like what I'm, what I'm seeing here. I don't want to go along with this. And he does it to the nth degree. And, and yet you're being called in to almost approve of it or to take side. Yeah, ab absolutely, absolutely. Well, and, you know, and there I would come back to bullying again. You know, the number, maybe we're not all bullies, but how often do we call it out? How often do we just stand on the edge and, and sort of condone it? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, and I guess my final question then, Perry, I mean, you were talking there about not setting it to the audience. Uh, and my final question was going to be, why, why the fawn and, and why now? Um, how, how would you sell it to the audience other than telling them that they might, they might get co-opted into being terrible bullies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, to be frank, I would, I would, I'd say, look, come and see this play that not only is very rarely done. So it's done 1605 probably. And then it's 1982 where I had a short run at the national and has never been done elsewhere. Oh, okay. So it's very rarely done. Come and see this play that is, I think, incredibly funny, hugely funny, in a whole range of different theatrical modes and styles and, and, and things. And then try and work out why people don't do this more often, because there's such riches. You know, it's, it's, uh, I think it's very entertaining, but such a, a wise, wise play. Um, I mean, I will go back also to say, one of the things that's fascinating about it, which is why uh, Claire and Lucy have, have asked us to look at this play, is the role of women. And, you know, the, the men on the whole are the bullies and, and the women are the more mature, more balanced, more sensible, more wise characters. And one of the things that, that we're really enjoying is the central scene. And I mean that in both senses. It comes in the middle of Act Three, but it, it is absolutely pivotal scene, which is entirely between two female characters, the beautiful young princess or, or daughter of the Duke, the sort of Juliet figure, and her confidant, Philokalia. And this is four pages long, where they are talking about love and about the, the young woman's hope for getting married and they're talking about life and the way people behave i mean it's such an incredibly interesting but also very light and funny scene 
Uh, and I think that is amazing. You know, you don't often get that in, in these plays, particularly in these boys' company plays, where you get a central scene between two uh, female characters who really sort things out. So, so you know, I, I'd say come and see it for that as well. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's completely fascinating. Thank you. Um, Perry, it's been a real joy to talk to you as always. I'm really excited Thank to you. share some of the, re the rehearsal process um, as part so of the film. Um, and good luck with the, with the production. Thank you, Andy. And I really hope that you're able to come and see it when we get to do it. Oh, me too. Cheers.